Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, you'll find it on page 140 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. Now, while you're turning there, I want to share uh, a little bit about what it was like for me growing up in my household, okay? I'm a middle child. That should sum it up, right? I'm a middle child. They say we're loyal. They say we're the peacekeepers, the peacemakers. We negotiate, we broker deals between the other siblings, between each other and the parents, right? Uh, Usually parents are um, figuring out what not to do with the oldest, right? And then with the youngest, well, they just get all the goodies, right? By the time it comes for the youngest, it's like, there's whatever. You guys seen that commercial with that mother that goes into like the auto store and she's got a baby, you know, and she's talking to the auto guy and he's like trying to talk to her and she doesn't want, she's like, can you wash your hands, please? Can you sanitize and everything? Cause she's afraid her only child is going to get like germs. But then it fast forward to like, she's got three kids and she takes the kid and hands it to this grease hand parent. And it, it, that's just how it is with parenthood. Right. Uh, and so I had an older brother and I have a, I have an older brother, okay, he still exists, he's alive. I have an older brother and I have a younger sister, okay, which I think is the worst middle child combo to have, okay? Because my sister could not do a lick of harm, okay? I've got scars to prove she can, but she was, she just, in my dad, apple of my dad's eye, you know, which I understand now because I have a daughter, right? And we have a special connection, my daughter and I do. We're so much alike, watch out world. My brother, he had a little bit of a harder go in life. He fell in with the wrong crowd in high school and he had a little bit of a struggle uh, as a way to get um, under my brother's nerves because he could beat me physically, right? Um, Though I learned how to run really fast barefooted. uh, I, I would, I, to kind of, get back at him would say, my older brother is following in my footsteps. I graduated first. I joined the Air Force first. I got married first. Sometimes when I'm feeling extra snarky, I wish he was in because he would have to salute me. <laughs> so I grew up as a middle child. And, and, and let me tell you, um, because of the family dynamics, I think we all would probably say that our families have a little bit of dysfunction, Right? I don't think there's ever anything as the perfect family. And, and it used to be there were families and then there was dysfunctional families. But now I just think they're dysfunctional families, right? And maybe perhaps you thought you, your family put the dis in dysfunction. I would compete with that. We'd all probably have a competition, but that's not really the point. The, the, the point of this and the reason why I tell you that story is there are some struggles, real, real struggles in my household growing up. And there was some real tension between me and my older brother. And me and my older brother, we used to go at it. We used to fight. It got so bad that a couple months before I was going into the Air Force, I moved away from home because of the strife between me and my brother. Now, if you can imagine being a parent and having the kids not get along, what type of stress that adds to the family. And I remember we used to drive my parents nuts. And I remember very vividly this one time. Now now, now I'll tell you this. I know my parents absolutely love me, okay? I don't doubt their love for me in one bit. But I remember this one time very clearly. I can still see it as I'm thinking of it now. Where my brother and I, I don't know what we had done, but we had gone at it 
and my dad couldn't take any more of it. And I remember being in the living room of our home and my dad is on his knees, pounding on the floor, yelling, I've had enough. I've had enough. And he gets in the van and he drives off and we wonder, are we gonna see dad again? Now I will tell you that my dad is normally a patient man. He's like one of the most, he's calm as a cucumber. I don't know how cucumbers got that reputation, but he and my dad have that reputation of being calm as a cucumber. But something happened, and we had drove my dad to this point. And then I noticed that there was some friction between my dad and I, where I can get my dad's blood pressure to boil pretty quickly. And guess what? He can do the same thing to me, right? Two knuckleheads, two self-opinionated pastors, right? And we just, we can sometimes uh, stir each other up. He, here's the thing. I think my dad passed down to me somehow his ability to get frustrated. And I grew up with that. Somehow I absorbed that, assimilated it. And I've even gotten to the point now that I have a son, a three, he's almost four-year-old son, where I can start to see some of that same frustration in him and him getting frustrated. And it's caused me to wonder, am I passing that down to my son? Friends, you see, I think I have a similar struggle as my father does. I want to invite you to stand as we look to Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to unpack how this, uh, how this correlates with the life and person of Jacob, the life and person of Jacob. Uh, we read this from Exodus 34, verses six and seven. By the way, this is the most quote, these two verses are the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. And this is God's own self-revelation of what he is like. This is him saying, this is my character in a nutshell. Starting in verse six. And he passed in front of Moses. That is God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Did anybody struggle with that last part of the verse? What? Punishing kids to the third and even the fourth generation because of the parents' sin? Man, that sounds kind of like an angry and harsh God, does it not? But friends, let me, under, let me unpack a little bit of the significance of this. First, we must not forget, not yet, Brian, that verse seven starts off with this. He says, maintaining love to thousands. He starts with love. He has love for thousands. He's patient in his love. He's loyal in his love. He forgives generations upon generations. But he says, and forgiving the wickedness and rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So friends, when we see that God is punishing the children for the parents' sin, 
what we have to understand is the children aren't innocent. They are just as guilty because they have followed the pattern, the lifestyle, the sinful habits. They picked that up from their parents. Not just dads, but moms as well. What? I know, we think mom's perfect, right? This is a parent, this is, just because it says fathers doesn't mean women, you're off the hook here. He doesn't leave any of the guilty unpunished. But he does, and we know this because we just celebrated in community, he does have a way of forgiveness, right? It's a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You just go to God, repent, ask him for forgiveness, and press on in his power to change. But friends, let me just tell you, there are some times where innocent children reap the consequences of sinful parents. If I hop in my car and I've had too many to drink and I'm drunk and I have my kid in the back and I get into a car accident, is my children, is my child getting punished for my sin? Yes. That's a natural consequence. That's a byproduct of sin. But friends, there's also this emphasis. I believe it's embedded in this scripture about not letting the guilty go unpunished that our children pick up our sinful habits. And today in our story, we're gonna look at Jacob because we're gonna find out he picked up a sinful habit from his grandpa Abraham and his father Isaac. And before we look at, uh, I'm gonna just highlight a couple of stories. I want you to get this point. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is the lesson you need to learn. Brian, it, it's your turn. Parents need to deal decisively with their sins. Parents, grandparents, adults, even kids in the room today, you need to deal decisively with your sins so that you can teach your children a better way, so that your children don't pick up on a sinful habit or a hang-up. Now, I've, you've heard me say this before. What one generation believes, another assumes. What one generation assumes, the next rejects. I didn't come up with that. I think I heard that from Mark Driscoll, but it is so true. That what one generation believes, unless they're intentional about passing that along to their children, they just assume that the next generation is just gonna get it and figure it out on their own. And so sometimes that passively happens, sometimes it doesn't. And then what happens is that next generation has this assumption that their children are gonna grow up loving God and being moral people. And what happens is the children see that and they reject it. And they don't pick it up. And we're seeing that happen today. In our culture, you can see that happening. And so parents, you have to learn to deal decisively with your sins. Now, here's the thing that we saw last week from Abraham. One of the things about genuine faith, he struggled with integrity, remember? He lied to Pharaoh and Abimelech about his wife, Sarah. He was afraid that he was gonna get killed because of her beauty. And so he told her, to participate in this lie, to cover it up and say, you're my sister. 
lest they kill me, steal you, and take my stuff. And we see that God protected Sarah from being mishandled, from being abused by Pharaoh and by Abimelech. But still there's that condemnation there. Abraham did not trust that God could protect him and his wife. And so he lied because of fear of men and, and maybe a lack of trust in God to protect. And oddly enough, if you read the story of Isaac, his son, Isaac struggled with integrity. I want you to listen to this. It's not on the screen, but I want you to listen to this. This comes from Genesis 26 and 7. This is Jacob's dad. When the men of that place, that is Abimelech's men, when the men of that place asked Jacob about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is so beautiful. And from that point on, Abimelech made a point to ask any Israelite who came into his territory, are you related to Abraham and Isaac? Because I've been duped before. Isaac repeats the same mistake as his father. He lies about his wife, Rebekah. Friends, sadly, this pattern continues. Jacob himself struggled with integrity. He had learned to lie from his parents and his grandparents. It's interesting if you read the story of Jacob, and it's, you can go back to Genesis 25. It's 25 through 35 is the main part. You get a little bit of it with Joseph when Joseph is in Egypt and all of that. But the main story of Jacob is Genesis 25 through 35. And from the very beginning, uh, he, he's a twin brother. He's got an older brother named Esau. And Esau came out and he looked like a mop, so they named him Mop. No, they named him Esau, which means hairy, okay? And as, they're, as, as Esau is coming out, Jacob's holding onto his heel, grabbing his heel, trying to get out himself. And his name, Jacob, actually means, if you look this up, it's pretty crazy. He who grabs the heel, but figuratively, it means one who deceives. I think Jacob was trying to pull his brother back in so he could get out first. Not only, okay, so, so he's born with this name that means deceived. Ah, that's kind of, sorry, Jacob, you kind of get a bad deal, right? But we see, unfortunately, he lives up to that name. In Genesis 25, verses 29 through 33, we see that he steals his brother Esau's birthright. Esau is super hungry. He's been out hunting for game, didn't adequately prepare for this hunting trip. And Jacob just happens to be there with a pot of stew. And, Jay, and Esau's like, I'm super hungry. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright. Dude, just give me some stew. Give me your birthright. And they back and forth, back and forth. And finally, Esau's like, I don't care about my birthright. I'm going to die. I'm famished. And he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. And I think Jacob is like, ha, 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 I win. And in verse, uh, Genesis 27, a little while later, verses 22 and 24, we see that Jacob steals Esau's blessing. Listen to this from Genesis 27, verse 22 through 24. Jacob, uh, real quick, just a little bit of backstory. 
uh, Isaac is about to die. They know he's about to pass away, and they know that there's going to be this time of pronouncing blessing. And that was a big deal in the ancient, ancient Near East culture. He's going to pronounce this blessing and eat, like getting things ready for this blessing. And Jacob's mother, who like encourages him to be deceitful, says he's about to die. And they, he puts on like goat hair on himself, you know, and he makes himself look and smell like Jacob. So just so you know, that's the context. So Jacob goes into the tent to offer this bowl of wild game to his father. And it says, Jacob went closer to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob. By the way, he was, couldn't see very well. But the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son, Esau? He asked. I am, Jacob replied. Even before, even before the blessing, Jacob, or or excuse me, Isaac gave Jacob the opportunity to be truthful, and he doesn't. He goes with the deceit, and he says, and he continues to lie. Uh, In uh, Genesis 29, verses 14 through 30, we see that Jacob has fled his brother. His brother wants to kill him because he stole his birthright and stole his blessing. Um, And so uh, Jacob flees to his uncle Laban's place. And here we find that Laban deceives Jacob. So Jacob is now on the receiving end. is uh, Jacob gets tricked into marrying Leah, Laban's older daughter, when really he wanted his younger daughter, Rachel. And then what ends up happening is he ends up working for Laban another seven years to, for Rachel's hand in marriage. And the whole time, Laban is trying to just deceive Jacob because he knows that God's blessing is on Jacob. And so we see he's on the receiving end. And then just a chapter later, we see that it's now his time, turn to turn the tables on Laban, and he deceives his uncle. Listen to the story from Genesis chapter 30, and this is about sheep and goats. Jacob had told his uncle Laban, hey, I, I'll make a deal with you. Um, I need to have a wage for working for you. Uh, I'm not going to do it for free anymore, okay? I'm not going to allow you as my uncle to take advantage of me anymore. So he says... Let's separate sheep and goats. Those who are spotless are yours. All the blotted, polka-dotted, striped ones are mine. Sound good? And Laban's like, yeah, sure. Sounds fine. I bet that the, the spotted and striped ones were like a recessive gene, so less likely to happen. Well, somehow, I don't know how this works. It's a weird story. In- So he deceives his uncle Laban. But it get I want you to hear the planning and the scheming and the depth of the deception from this story. And it says this, whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. You see what he's doing? 
I don't want the weak ones. I want the strong ones. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones went to Jacob. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to his own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Friends, here's the sad thing about make his name great. He didn't need to deceive. But Jacob had a problem. Something he learned. Something that he got passed along. So, parents, parents, we need to be very, very careful what we're passing along to our children, the habits and the hangups that they're picking up. Friends, let me tell you, our kids see us. I am surprised and amazed at how much my kids are picking up, the good and the bad. And so, parents, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you have a habit or hang-up that you have been struggling with. And it doesn't matter your age, whether you're a grandparent, a great-grandparent, a father, or a single. You need to deal decisively with your sin so that those in whom you have influence with don't pick up those things from you. If you're getting online, and that's an issue for you, you need to deal decisively with that. If you're looking at things that you should not be looking at, you need to deal decisively with that because your kids will find out. If it's a gambling or drinking addiction, your kids will find out. If it's an integrity issue, if lying is your thing, your kids will find out. And so we have to deal decisively with this. I wonder what would have happened if Abraham, now, now I don't know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, I, I, but I wonder if he would have learned his lesson the first time with Pharaoh and would have changed his deceptive habits if that would have changed his kids following in the same pattern. And that leads us to the next one. Brian, go ahead and put it up. Parents need to be honest with their children. Adults, you need to be honest with those kids, with those whom you have influence over. Stop trying to be Superman or Superwoman. Stop trying to be perfect and pretend that you have it all figured out. You need to be honest with where you're at with Jesus. You need to be honest with your struggles. You need to be honest with those things that hang you up. And you need to show those things to your kids and those you have influence over. Now, let me just be very, very clear here. Doesn't mean you have to tell all the details, okay? It doesn't mean you have to share all the minute little facts and figures because you can do damage to people, right? You can do damage to people. You, you can be too descriptive in being transparent, right? I, I often tell this to uh, youth pastors 
um, because sometimes with youth ministries, things can get out of control and it can quickly go into the junior high locker room. And I tell them, don't take anybody into the locker room, okay? When you're being transparent, be transparent enough, be honest, and take, but you don't have to have 100% full disclosure to everyone, right? But enough, but enough disclosure, enough honesty where you communicate the seriousness of the things that you struggle with. Now, friends, this is just a practical thing from my life. I love my dad. I did not have a birds and bees talk with him. That was with my youth pastor. It was one of those things he believed and assumed that I would just figure out. And thankfully, I had a youth pastor who loved me enough to help me, right? But friends, there, there are things that I, as I'm looking at raising Judah and Olivia, I'm starting to think, what are things I need to be honest with with them? And I'm, having, I'm even now learning the discipline of going to my kids and asking them for forgiveness when I have sinned against them. Hey, buddy, I yelled at you. I got too angry. Will you pl please forgive daddy? Daddy, I accept your apology. It's, it's wonderful, but for parents, you need to be honest with your kids. And adults, you just need to be honest with those whom you have influence over. We can be some. Uh, we can sometimes be afraid to lose faith with these face with these people. That somehow our reputation is going to get dinged because of it. But friends, I want you to think through the type of legacy you're leaving behind because you will be remembered for the good and the bad. If you don't believe me, look at it. It's been several thousands of years since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob exist, and we're looking at their bits and hangups. Friends, the last thing is this, and this is wonderful. God wants to give you a new God wants to give you a new identity. The amazing thing, and this is probably something, this is the childhood story that I think we all remember. Jacob was a national champion wrestler, was he not? You remember that, right? He put the singlet on and went to the mat, and he wrestled God himself. And he was so persistent in his wrestling, he wasn't going to give up. And yet we find that the man whom Jacob wrestled, and I believe he was wrestling God, an Old Testament appearance of God, God touched his hip and put it out of socket. And Jacob still said, I am not letting go until you bless me. And God says, Jacob, I'm going to give you a name. No longer will your name be Jacob. No longer will you be deceiver. But you shall be called Israel. Friends, this is what's up on the screen. We'll go. We got the verses there, Brian. And this is about him wrestling. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons. He crossed the fort of the Jabbok. After him, he sent them across the stream. He sent over all his possessions. He's sending them ahead to go meet his brother Esau because he knows that Esau wants to kick his butt. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. It was no holds barred in the gauntlet, in the octagon. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Next slide. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, 
I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Friends, some of you are trying to deal with these habits and your hangups in your own strength. And it's because you're not realizing that God has given you a new heart and a new nature. If you have said yes to Jesus, the old life you lived is done away with and you are a new creation in God's mind and in God's eyes. He sees you as somebody new and he wants to give you a new identity, not an identity that's held hostage by your sin, but that's set free because of his grace and goodness for you. And I love how Jacob's story ends, even though it's just it's family dysfunction to the capital D. Jacob gets a new identity from God. He becomes the father of the nation of Israel. And things aren't perfect. He still has to learn what it means to live in that new identity. But he can now go on holding on hope for God's future and plan for him and his family. And so, friends, if you're tied down, if, you're, if you have bought into the lie of the enemy and have stereotyped yourself by your sin, God wants to give you a new identity today. Amen? And that is the hope. That is the hope of Jesus, and that is the story, the lesson we learned from Jacob. Friends, would you bow your heads with me as we close our service out today? Father, I thank you so much that you have preserved in your word the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for us. Warts and all, blemishes and all, failures and all. God, we see tremendous faith, and we also see struggle with tragedy. Father, today I pray that we would learn to deal decisively with the sins that threaten to hang us up and to tie us down and to weigh us down. I pray that everyone in this room would deal decisively with any habits or hangups that are in their life. And that, God, they would commit to you to doing whatever it takes to become free from that. I pray with repentance would come that the actions that follow that, the actions that says, I'm going to do what is necessary to deal with with the temptation that so easily wants to entangle me. And God, I pray you would honor that and bless that. And Father, I pray that we would learn to become transparent with our struggles, especially with our families, especially with our children, especially with those that we have influence over. That we wouldn't try to paint ourselves with a false picture, a false narrative, but we would just be honest with our struggles that we would be healthy with our transparency and we would just trust you to use those things that we have learned, those lessons that we have learned to help others learn from them and grow from them and become free from want to entangle them. And God, I pray that as each and every single one of us here today leaves this place and goes and prepares to celebrate our independence, that, Father, we will be reminded that part of our independence is freedom from sin and freedom from those stereotypes that Satan wants us to get held down by. That there's freedom 
from being identified and labeled by our sin. And that, Father, you want to and you have made a way possible for us to have a new identity because of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak that identity over us. God, I ask that you would speak that identity into every single one of us here today and that we would begin living out that new identity in you, God, and that we would see victory over sin in our lives. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for the gifts that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Friends, would you stand as I send you off? Receive this as your benediction as you go. And don't forget, grab some sparklers on the way out. Invite your neighbors and friends to hang out with you this Independence Day and show them the love of Jesus Christ through some great grilling and spending time as family. Can we do that? Can we do that? Can we use our freedom to share the gospel with people in our community? I think we can. May you go in the peace and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. May you go wrapped up in his freedom and in his salvation. May you go and deal decisively with the things that try to trip you up, the things that threaten to steal, kill, and destroy you. May you go and deal decisively with them. And may you just be honest with who you are in Christ Jesus. That you're transparent with those with whom you have influence over and let them just see what God is doing in your life. And may you go living out God's identity for you, that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, have a happy 4th of July. See you next week.